This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Um, would you turn with me to, uh, to 1 Corinthians this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. where the scripture reading is this morning. 1 Corinthians 1, and we'll read verses 17 through 25. Chapter 1, 17 through 25. Would you stand? For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than me. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you again this morning. Uh, thank you for gathering us here. Thank you for giving us another opportunity, Lord, to uh, study your word together, to sing together, Lord, to, uh, to bring gifts uh, for the work of the, the service, for your kingdom. Lord, just to have Christian fellowship as we uh, not only enjoy the presence of one another, but uh, most importantly, as we enjoy Your presence. And we do pray, Lord, that You enable us to be aware this morning, as always, that You are with us, in us. Lord, may all that we do here be for the purpose of bringing glory and honor to You. And also for our own edification, we pray, Lord, that You make Your truth, the truth that we'll be looking at this morning, effective in our own hearts so that our lives are affected and so that, again, we grow in grace and the knowledge of You and so that through it all, You're glorified. We're dependent upon You for these things, Father, so we pray, asking that You do it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I can remember um, before I was saved and uh, even 
uh, some of the thoughts that I would have con- regarding religion. And, and keep in mind, too, I was pretty much uh, raised in church and uh, had a lot of exposure um, to, to, to the gospel. And uh, nevertheless, uh, as, as any lost person does, had a lot of warped ideas about those things. I mean, you know, understood some um, and, and did uh, what, what Paul talks about in Romans 1. Took, took the truth and, and suppressed the truth, exchanged it. The truth about God exchanged it for the lie. That's what lost people do. And I remember in my own experience um, thinking some things along these lines. I would consider Jesus and the message that I had heard all of my life. Christ came, went to the cross to die for our sins, and He rose from the dead. And then I would hear about these other other religions, other stories. Um, not that I did any deep research or anything like that. You just, you just hear. You know, you hear about Muslims. You hear about uh, Hindus. You, you understand that, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're around and that everybody doesn't think like you do. And, and so I just kind of came to the conclusion that um, God had different ways of manifesting Himself to different people, to different cultures, to different parts of the world. And so um, I did what a lot of people still do. I mean, I kind of thought of Christianity as being the Western religion, I guess. And, uh, you know, not in the sense of John Wayne or anything like that, but in the sense of uh, Western culture, right? Europe, Western Europe, the United States. And, and that's odd because Jesus wasn't Western. <laughs> but, but I guess I didn't think about it that deeply. I, I heard a, a you know, seminary professor tell a story <clears throat> years ago about going to China. And he, he got the opportunity. Of course, you're not allowed to go over there and preach um, illegally. But uh, they, he was on some kind of trip there and looking at different things had to do with education. And they, they assigned a young man, college student, to him to drive him around and show him the sights. So he you know, thought, well, this is great. Two of us in a car take the opportunity to witness to this young man. And um, one of the young man's objections to Christianity was, well, you know, that's, that's Western. We're Eastern, Easterners, and we don't think like y'all do. And, and um, you know, that's, that's Western religion. That's your good. That's your deal. That's not our deal. And the, uh, the seminary professor told him, so, well, you know, that's very interesting because Jesus was an Easterner. And Karl Marx was a Westerner. And you're a Marxist, <laughs> but you reject Christianity um, that is belief in a man from the East. And anyway, so it kind of kind of made him think. But that's the way I, I thought as well. God just kind of manifests Himself in different ways, different parts of the world. So maybe they're all legit. And it's kind of like this notion that we still get um, bombarded with all the time that there are many ways to God. And so everybody, uh, a lot of people like to think that everybody is on the same, on the same uh, journey, so to speak. You're just taking different routes to get there. 
Um, like I heard a brother uh, talking about just a couple of days ago. A man told him, you know, if we both go to New York and you take the bus and I take the train, we both get to New York, but we take different different uh, methods to get there we, and, and different routes. Um, and that's the way people think oftentimes about religion. It's the way that that I thought insofar as I as I spent much time thinking about it, that was the conclusion that I came to. Now, where did that come from? What, what, I'm, what I'm suggesting here is I, I, didn't, I didn't have a, a, a text, a biblical text, or as far as I can remember, I didn't have a text from any text <laughs> that I could point to and say, um, here, here is the standard of truth that everybody's bound to from which I am drawing that conclusion. No, it, 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 it came out of my own head with others' influence, of course. I mean, I'm sure I'd, I'd, I'd heard that kind of thing, and it just seemed to make sense to me. It seemed, uh, from, from a human perspective, it seemed reasonable. And there's a reason that those things seem logical and reasonable. And it's not really because they are logical and reasonable. Um, but it's because those are the ways we like to think. Otherwise, if, if, you, if you have a, if something that this is your desire, this is the way I want it to be, and then you can come up with a kind of a scheme to back that up, well, you're, you're prone to accept that, of course, because it's in line with your heart, your desire. And so a lot of people will accept that kind of thinking because what it does is, is say... You're okay. You're okay. Everybody's everybody's on the same journey. Everybody's going to get there. Everybody's going to get there safely. We're just taking different roads. And I mean, some will even go so far as to say, you don't have to believe at all in anything. If you do believe in something, it doesn't matter what it is. Or if you don't believe in anything at all, I mean, you're, you're just an atheist, for example. That's okay, too. We're all going to get there. Everybody's okay. That's a very appealing message, appealing to the to the flesh, to what we call the, the sinful nature, appealing to the to the mind, to human logic. I, I say all that because this is kind of what Paul is dealing with in this passage this morning, and he's drawing a contrast between human. Wisdom, what he calls the wisdom of man or the wisdom of men, and truth. Truth. What really is. No, that's not part of the sentence. That's the whole sentence. What, what really is. Because that's, that's what truth is about. What is. You know, I, I tell people if... People want to imagine that there's some kind of conflict between science and theology, science and faith, is the way they will say a lot of times. Um, and, I, and I tell them, no, if, not if we're both doing our job right. Because a, a scientist is concerned with what is. I mean, if, he, if he's a good scientist, if he's, if he's on the level, if he's really doing his job, all he's doing is searching out what we call truth trying to figure out what is. And that's the same task that a theologian has. If, again, if, if he's doing his job right. 
He just wants us to get to the bottom of what is. The reason there's a conflict a lot of times is, is not because there really is a conflict in those two disciplines. It's just because uh, other things come into play. Again, human um, reason, which is really unreasonable. Human desires. But in reality, there's no conflict. And so Paul is here contrasting truth, what really is, and, and specifically the truth about how to relate to God, how to know God, how to get close to God, contrasting that with the wisdom of the world, again, regarding how to, how to know God, how to know about God. So, um, I, you know, I had a title. I don't always give you a title, but uh, sometimes I do. And I had a, a couple this morning. Uh, actually, a title and a subtitle. That's pretty good. Isn't it? <laughs> For me. <clears throat> Here's the title. Um, just simply uh, an exhortation, okay? Don't be a sophisticated moron. That's, I'm, I'm just put, I'm paraphrasing. That's not, you know, Paul didn't say it that way. But that's kind of what he says. I'll show you that as, as we go through here. That's what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. Don't be a sophisticated moron. And uh, the subtitle would, would simply be this. No cross, no power. Or you could extend it a little bit and say it this way. No cross, no power. No salvation. And that's, that's why this is so important, what, what Paul is saying here. You do things or, or, or you, you, know, you go after, let's say, the knowledge of God, salvation, reconciliation with God. You go after that in a way other than the way that God has prescribed. You, you don't just miss the mark a little bit. You don't just wind up a little off. You know, you kind of get there. You just didn't get there on time or whatever. No, what, what happens is you don't get there. In other words, there's one true way, and all of the other ways are false ways. Now let's work our way through uh, some of what Paul says here. And keep in mind that contrast. He's, he's contrasting the truth. In other words, the way that God has provided for knowledge of Himself and for salvation of men, He's contrasting that with human wisdom. That is the way we think. The way we think ought, things ought to be. The way we think God ought to be and so forth. And I had to give you some examples, uh, uh, and I'll give you more here in a minute, but I had to give you some examples from my own experience and just from our culture today because Paul doesn't give us details about the way the Corinthians were, were, uh, were thinking here. He just kind of makes general statements. Um, so in verse 17, and let me just say this too to kind of keep us in context. When, when you get to verse 17, remember last week we talked about, uh, last Sunday morning we talked about the divisions in the church and uh, the schisms. You know, some people saying, I'm of, I'm of Paul, some I'm of Apollos, some I'm of Cephas, some I'm of Jesus. Um, and and that's, that's one of the problems in the Corinthian church. And you get to verse 17, which I did talk about uh, Sunday night, but I have to come back to it for a moment here and touch on it. But you get to verse 17, and it sounds like Paul has changed subjects. In fact, 
some of the commentators I've looked at actually say that. You know, Paul changes subjects here and, and uh, goes on to talk about the, the content of the gospel, and he'll come back to the other. I don't think he's totally changed subjects here. I think he's just expounding on maybe the reasons for some of these divisions. It's, it's, it's much like we do today. Since, since we tend to look for um, worldly wisdom, wisdom in word, is the way that Paul puts it here, um, since, since that is what, what tends to appeal to us, in other words, we, we like great speakers, we like uh, great rhetoricians, whether it's, you know, I mean, we complain about the politicians, but you know, a lot of times, bottom line, the ones we vote for are, are the ones with the most rhetoric a lot of times. And, and, and the most, uh, I, you know, and then we, I guess maybe that's just so we can go ahead and comp- keep on complaining about them. I don't know. But <laughs> we, we're impressed with, with those types and those kinds we think to be great thinkers. People talk about all this, uh, this concept of all religions leading to the same place and so forth. And we like that. That appeals to our flesh. And so we, we want to hear that. We want to hear more of that. So I don't think Paul's changed subjects here. I think now he is going into somewhat a uh, uh, little bit of a discussion about the content. But I think this may be at the heart of the divisions. In other words, the reason some of them liked Apollos more than Paul was because Apollos was an eloquent. Apollos was an eloquent speaker. And we know that. It tells us that in Acts. And so that's not necessarily wrong. It's just wrong to think that that is what it's all about. I mean, the fact that Apollos was an eloquent speaker and that he could, that he could get his message across, the message of the gospel, that he could get that across in an eloquent way that people like to hear. That, that's awesome. That's great. That's a great gift. But... What really should captivate us is not the way truth is presented, but the truth itself. And I think that's what Paul is saying. So, it could be a a great speaker, or it could be a guy who's not a great speaker, but he's on the level. He's telling the truth. He's presenting the gospel. That, Paul says, is what should captivate us. That's what should matter. That's what we should look for, the content. And so, he says in verse 17, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Literally, that's to good news, to evangelize. That's what He sent me to do. He sent me to good news, to spread the good news. And not with words of eloquent wisdom. Now, I'm reading here from the English Standard Version. And it translates this phrase, words of eloquent wisdom. And I think they are the translators here trying to convey the, the, the point that I was just making. But literally, it is wisdom of word. Paul says, not with wisdom of word. I'm, I'm, I'm sent to evangelize, to good news, but not with wisdom of word. That is my, my main thing is, is not to be uh, great at rhetoric. My main thing is not to be eloquent. My main objective is, is not, to, not to captivate people with my preaching style. In fact, apparently he didn't do that at all. I mean, they didn't think he was that great of a speaker. We'll, we'll find out later. And Paul said, 
basically, you know, that's okay. I boast in my weakness because that's when the power of God is most evident in my life. That's, that's an interesting view, isn't it? So Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to evangelize good news. The idea here is get the actual truth across, not necessarily do it in an eloquent way. Lest, because here's the danger, lest the cross of Christ be emptied. In other words, emptied of its power. In other words, if all the focus is on how we preach, what happens is we de-emphasize what we preach. In fact, usually what happens is we do that purposely because we want people to listen, right? So, we, so we've got to take out the offensive parts. And, and when, you, when you focus on the wisdom of Word, you have to sacrifice some of the gospel because the world doesn't see it as wisdom. And they won't listen to you any longer. And that's what part of Paul's point here. That's what he's making. So he says, that's not my approach. My, I'm sent to good news, to spread the gospel. Not with wisdom of Word, lest the cross of Christ be emptied. And most of the translations add something like of its power, because that is what he's talking about. But literally, he just says, lest it be emptied. I, I don't want to, to empty, isn't that interesting? I don't want to empty the cross of its power. Now, what in the world does he mean by that? Well, the cross, or in verse 18, the word of the cross, is, is a reference to the gospel. And, and this way of saying it is a reference to Jesus' death. The cross. Or sometimes um, it, it'll be the blood, like in Acts 20, talks about the church being paid for, bought by God's own blood. Not not meaning the fluid there, but meaning by the death of Christ. Christ died. The blood of Christ. He literally died. Certainly He spilled His blood because He really died. (laughs) And that's the whole point. He died on the cross for our sins. And so Paul says, I don't want to empty the cross of its power. In other words, if, if if I make strides to remove the offensiveness of the cross... What happens is, is I just render it ineffective. If, if we can change the cross from being what it, what it really was, an instrument of death, and turn it into a piece of jewelry, we can render it ineffective. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that it's wrong to wear a cross as a piece of jewelry. I'm just saying this. If that's our mindset about it, In other words, we don't understand that the Bible is presenting it as a means of death, like the electric chair, or like the needle used when they euthanize somebody, the injection. That's what the cross is. It represents death. Those things are offensive. We... uh, Leslie and I, we, we don't, you know, we're not into, some, some people are heavy into interior decorate, decorating and all that. We're not heavy into that. But even if we were, um, uh, you know, I mean, our, our living room and our house is simple. Um, but even if we were going to go all out on all that, I wouldn't put an electric chair 
in the living room. If I did, I'm pretty sure that when people came to visit, they would find that offensive. And just strange. Wouldn't you think it's strange? You know, you walk in somebody's living room and there's an electric chair. And especially if they said, have a seat. <laughs> you know, you'd be kind of leery of that. You'd be checking to see if it was plugged in or not. I would. It's, it's a scandalous thing. In fact, Paul uses that word. The cross is scandalous. It, in his day, it was not viewed as something desirable. I guarantee during during the first century, while people were being crucified, literally, people were not wearing crosses for earrings. I mean, they would have thought that awfully strange. It would be like you today wearing a an electric chair or a syringe, you know, to represent euthanasia. But Paul says, I don't, I don't preach with wisdom of word, lest I render the cross ineffective. I empty it of its power. For, verse 18, explanatory here, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Now, here's, here's what Paul is saying. Verse 17, God, uh, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Alright? What is the gospel? Now, that's, that's not just left open to, for anybody to define and turn it into what we want. Now, again, we, we do that a lot of times. That, that, again, is where the wisdom of men comes into play. So, for example, in our day, oftentimes it's turned into a, what we call a social gospel. It, it becomes all about moralism. It becomes all about um, things like uh, feeding the hungry and so forth. And those things are good, by the way. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just, not, I'm just saying that's not the essence of the gospel itself. You can feed the hungry. You can uh, provide housing for the poor. You can clothe the naked. You can do all those things without ever presenting the gospel. So, yes, we should do those things, but those things are not the gospel and we don't want to be confused on that. Paul is saying the gospel has a, a certain content, specific, and it includes the cross. So, Christ sent me to preach the gospel, and the gospel, verse 18, is the word of the cross. He's, he's, he's giving definition to the, to the gospel he talks about in verse 17. There are certain things that cannot be left out. Some of you... May be familiar with uh, um, Albert Moeller. He's the uh, president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. You hear me referencing or quoting from time to time. Um, I remember him telling this story of his first day at seminary, the seminary that he is now the president of. He was a student at back in the in the 70s, somewhere in the mid 70s or late 70s, somewhere along in there. And his first day there, he had attended a class, and the professor did, you know, what a lot of them do. They said, okay, let's go around the room, and everybody stand up, say your name, where you're from, and, and just give us something briefly about yourself so we can kind of all get to know each other. And so they began to go around the room and do that, and one girl, she stood up and said her name and where she was from, and, and she, uh, she made some kind of reference, I don't even remember what it was, if, if he said, but in her little, you know, I'm thankful for God's grace kind of thing, in her little brief testimony, she made some kind of reference 
to the cross, to Jesus dying for her. And the seminary professor, the seminary professor got indignant and he said, we will have no more bloody talk in this classroom from this point on. That seminary was controlled by uh, liberal theologians 30 years ago, 35 years ago. And, of course, Moeller, who sat in that classroom, was horrified at what he heard. Thankfully, today, by God's providence, he's the president of the seminary. And they uh, um, ran everybody off that held those kinds of views. Um, um, So, that thinking's out there, but here's the deal. You get rid of the cross, there's no salvation. When you take the cross out of the gospel, the death of Jesus, Christ crucified, you take that out of the gospel, there is no gospel. There's, because there's no power. So, Paul says in verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What is the word of the cross? The message of the cross. Later he says it this way, Christ crucified. That is the power of God and the salvation. That is the essence of the gospel. And yes, yes, it stands opposed to the wisdom of the world. So he's warning the Corinthians, don't, don't buy into the wisdom of the world. Don't get all caught up in wisdom of word. You know, the, the way to talk. Methods. Don't get all caught up in that. Focus on content. The content of the gospel. And the cross cannot be removed. If you remove the cross, you remove the power. And if you remove the power, there's no salvation. For the word of the cross is foolishness or folly. Verse 18. This is going to be important. This is the point that that Paul is... is, This is a main point to the contrast he's making. The word of the cross is foolishness. That is the message of Christ crucified for sinners, the message of salvation, God providing salvation through the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. That message, Paul says, is foolishness to the world. And that's why people like me thought there were other ways. And that's why some people just rule that out totally. And they say, all this bloody religion stuff is primitive. And surely we've gotten beyond that. Surely we are more sophisticated than to think that God would save people by sending His Son, by His Son being incarnate, that is, becoming flesh, as, coming into the world as a man, and going to die on a cross. Now, Paul says the word of the cross is, Foolishness or folly to those who are perishing, or as one writer put it, to those who are certain to perish. That's the idea here. But it is in the, uh, that's part of the idea. It is in the present tense. So there, there are now people who are perishing. It's not, it's not, it's not totally out there in the future like 
we tend to think of it. It's, it's like dying physically. We're all dying. We're, we're all dying. And you, may, you may say, well, I don't, I don't have any terminal disease. I've, I, every time I go see the doctor, he tells me I'm doing great. I'm in perfect health. No, nothing about dying. Well, if, if you're living and breathing, you're dying. And we came into this world that way. We started out from the day we were born. The dying process begins. And you might live to be 120, but when you were 50, you were, you were still dying. When you were 30, when you were 20, when you were 10, you were dying. And spiritually, Paul is saying, there are those who are now perishing. And there are those who are now being saved. And so he's making a distinction between the world, that is unbelievers, those who are perishing, and and, and those can can be people who don't profess to believe anything. Those can be people who profess to believe everything. You know, all roads lead to God. Those can be people who profess a certain thing like Christianity and yet still don't believe it all. That's, that's the condition I was in before I was saved. Those people are perishing. Those are the lost. And Paul's making a contrast between the perishing and those who are being saved. Christians. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing the world thinks it's crazy, they think it's stupid, they think it's foolishness. But, he says, for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For us who are being saved, we understand that it was necessary that Jesus die on the cross. Our salvation rests on that. No cross, no power to save. You take the cross out of the gospel, you have no gospel. You, you may have lofty speech. You may have great rhetoric. I've read some stuff of Socrates and Plato, and it's good stuff in many ways. There's no saving message there. There's a lot of good rhetoric. The the method we talk about today, the teaching method, we call the Socratic method, came from Plato's writing about Socrates. Socrates would ask questions. That's the way he talked. That's a great method of teaching. The Apostle Paul uses that, by the way, in verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? You see what he's doing? He's using questions to teach. So, sometimes rhetoric is is pretty impressive. And sometimes you can put it to good use. Sometimes you can use it to avoid questions <laughs> that are being asked to you. That's the most common way we see it in our day with the politicians anyway. Um, they ask them a direct question and they, and they come back with ten minutes of rhetoric and they, they didn't really say anything about anything. You, know? you would have learned just as much if they had kept their mouth shut. Um, so Paul's making that contrast. Don't fall for those kinds of things. Pay attention to content. Now, he says this. For us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That is the gospel, the word of the cross. Christ crucified 
is the power of God. It's foolishness to the world, but it's the power of God to us. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Now, what Paul does there is pull Old Testament testimony to back up what he's saying. He's saying, look, God is going to show what the true wisdom is. God is going to confound the wise of this world. In fact, Paul, I think, is saying he's already done it. He's done it through the cross. And he's pointing to this Old Testament mindset to say that this has been God's plan all along. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. So, that's, I mean, that's a, when you're dealing with what Paul is dealing with here, that's an important prophecy. You, you don't want to put your trust in the wisdom of the wise when God has, has said centuries earlier, I will destroy it. Now, this is probably, at least in part, a reference to Isaiah 29:14. although there, there are many passages that carry this idea. And it's interesting, if you go back and read the context there in Isaiah, Isaiah 29, 13, talks about the false religion of the Jews. God says through Isaiah, their fear toward me is taught them by the precept of men, or by the commandment of men. And Jesus makes reference to that in Matthew 15, when He talks about the Jewish leaders transgressing the commandment of God in an effort to keep and protect their tradition. So what you have there in Isaiah 29 and Matthew 15 also, the wisdom of men replacing the truth of God. Their fear toward me is taught them by the commandments of men. It's it's a totally outward thing. We still are a lot of times guilty of that. I mean, we can tell people real quick how to be a Christian, right? Well, you've you got to dress this way. You've got to talk this way. You've got to wear your hair this way. And amazingly, it's always like whatever we do, you know. <laughs> In other words, instead of Helping them conform to the image of Christ, we try to conform them to our image and say, okay, now you're acceptable. It's taught. And then we tell them that's Christianity. That's the fear of God. Their fear of God is taught them by the commandment of men rather than it being something inward. That is God teaching them. His, His commandments coming to bear in their heart. Like we saw in Sunday school this morning, Jeremiah 31 where he says, I will write my laws upon their hearts. So, this has been God's plan all along, Paul says. God spoke and said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will set aside or thwart. Now, he goes to the rhetorical questions. And here, yes, he's he's employing rhetoric here uh, to make a point. But again, it's not a... A, uh, a, it's, not a, it's not a point without content, and it, and it is content consistent with the true gospel, Christ and Him crucified. That's where He's taking them. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Now, verse 20 says, where is the wise? That's kind of a general way of saying just all, all of the wise men of this world. Where are they? Then he gets more specific with the next two questions. Where is the scribe? That would be a reference to the wise 
men of the Jews. Where is the scribe? And then, where is the debater of this age? A reference to the Greeks, you know, their view of wisdom. So, where are the wise men of this world? The Jewish scribes, the, which would be the experts in the law. Experts in the law of Moses. And where, where is the debater of this age? The great philosophers, the great rhetoricians. Then he raises this question as he moves into the main body of his argument. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? You see what he's saying? Verse 18, he says, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. That is, they hear the gospel, Christ crucified, the blood of Jesus and shed for sinners, and they say, that is foolishness. That is utter foolishness. And Paul is coming back and saying, wait a minute. Where is the scribe? Where is the philosopher? Have they led us to salvation? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Those who sat in judgment over God, they set themselves up to judge God. Are they not now judged by God through His work on the cross? And so their wisdom is shown to be the true foolishness. And Paul says, again, he's making the point, I think, that this is, this is God's intention. This is the way he had set about to do it. Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So he says, in the wisdom of God, and I think what he's saying is, in other words, this is the way God has ordained things to be. In God's wisdom... The world did not know God through wisdom. So, in other words, you you can study the great philosophers of the ages, and you might learn some things. What, what, What you won't do is get to God that way. You won't come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ that way. And you can sit at the feet of the the experts in the Jewish law, the scribes. And learn some things. What you, what you won't do is get to God that way. At least not insofar as they depart from the real truth of the law that, it, that is intended to point us to Christ. So he's saying salvation is not found in human wisdom. What human wisdom does is lead us to conclusions like I talked about earlier. In fact, let me just give you a few more examples before we, we close here. And these are just things that, that came to mind that you hear people say all the time. The examples of human wisdom. A loving God could not send people to hell. You ever heard that? Where does that come from? Does that come from the Bible? <laughs> or does that, does that come from a mind that says, you know what, uh, I, don't, I don't like that idea of God. And my idea of God is that a loving God... That, of course, is based on their definition of love. A loving God could not send people to hell. That's wisdom of this age that Paul is talking about. That's wisdom of the world that is opposed to the truth of God. Or they'll say things like this, there, there cannot be only one way to God. There has to be more than one way. Salvation cannot be through Jesus and Jesus alone. That's human wisdom. 
Or we'll justify our sin by saying, surely God will understand my, my situation. God knows. God will understand. Or they'll say something like, everyone is basically good. That's human wisdom. That doesn't come from the Bible. In fact, Romans 3, there are none good. Not one. How about what I call the, the syndrome syndrome? Everything's a syndrome. I mean, we just apply that to everything. So, bad behavior? You've got a syndrome. And we'll, we'll find a medication that will help you with that. Everything's a syndrome. Everything from alcoholism to, I don't know, whatever. You know, beating your mother or what, whatever. It, we've got a syndrome to cover everything. And, and what's behind that? What's behind that is we want to remove responsibility. What we're saying is it's not your fault. You, it's not your fault. You've just got the mama beaten syndrome, and we're going to try to help you with that. Everything's a syndrome. It, it takes away the need for repentance. You don't need repentance, you just need behavioral adjustment. Well, good luck with that. One problem they were having in the Corinthian church, we're going to see later. Uh, as, as I think is an expression of this kind of uh, wrong thinking, is thinking that the recipients of certain gifts were better than other people. That's just, it's kind of along the lines of what I was saying about rhetoric and eloquent speech. You know, in other words, if people were gifted in certain ways, well, then they're better than other people that don't have those gifts. We're, we're still, we still struggle with that. Another one, and this will be the last example here, but um, another problem that the Corinthians had was thinking that their conduct in the body now didn't affect their spiritual status. They just created a false dichotomy there between flesh and spirit. And they, you, know, you know what? We're, we're in Christ. We're in the Spirit. And that has nothing to do with our existence in the flesh so we can, we can engage in all kind of immorality and we're okay because our spirit is saved. Well, that, that may sound very lofty. and In fact, it, 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 you know, I mentioned Plato earlier. It reeks of Platonic thought. That's no doubt where they got it from. And it may sound very lofty and very wise, but it's worldly wisdom and it's contrary to the gospel that demands repentance. And it says the only deliverance from sin is the death of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, and we'll come back to some of this tonight. For the sake of time, I have to close here now. But Paul, so Paul says in verse 22, For Jews... Verse 21, rather. Let me go to the last part of verse 21. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach. And what he's doing there, he's, he's, that's coming off of, off of verse 18. 
The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So he's just saying, okay, what we preach is foolishness to the world, but it pleased God through the foolishness of what we preach. In other words, the word of the cross, Christ crucified, to save those who believe. So, yes, it's folly to the world, but it is the means of salvation. Period. There's not another way. So, you remove that, there's no power to save. For Jews, verse 22, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Hopefully, I'll come back to that tonight. But we, verse 23, we preach Christ crucified. See there again? He's saying, it's the content, Christ crucified, the word of the cross. We preach Christ crucified. We don't give in to the desires of the world. We're not here to tickle ears. We're not here... I mean, hopefully, the truth makes us feel good. But if it doesn't, Paul would say, we're not here to make you feel good. We're not here to tell you something to make you feel good. We're here to tell you the truth. So we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks. That would be believers. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So, in a nutshell, here's the deal. Paul says, look, <clears throat> with all of your worldly wisdom, you, you, you've become too sophisticated for the simple truths of the gospel. Because it doesn't sound like wisdom to you. This bloody religion just doesn't sound, sound like wisdom. I mean, it just, in, to the mind, to the unregenerate mind, it doesn't compare to the lofty speech of the great philosophers, or even the great, the great Greek philosophers, or even the great Jewish teachers. And so, you, you've become too sophisticated for the gospel. You, call, you consider it foolishness. Paul winds up by saying, look, God has rendered the wisdom of the world foolish. That's the real foolishness, and God's way is the real wisdom. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And this word for foolishness, this is why I use the word moron, because this word, this, this word is where we get our word moron. So, for example, in verse 18, when he says, the word of the cross is folly, that's the word there, and it's used repeatedly throughout this passage. The word from which we get our word moron. So, it's kind of like saying, who's, what, what's the real moronic teaching here? And Paul has Paul is saying God has shown where the real wisdom is. So don't, don't be too sophisticated for the truth. Don't be a sophisticated moron because that's in reality what we are when we think we are, we are wiser than God. The message of Christ crucified is the saving message. 
It is the power of God to those who are being saved. And there is no salvation apart from it. I don't care what ethnic group you belong to, what culture you belong to, what nationality you are, what real estate you were born on in whatever part of the world, whether it was South America, North America, Africa, it doesn't matter. There's one way of salvation. Through faith in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Or in short, through faith in Christ. In other words, you're trusting in what Christ did to reconcile you to God. You take that away. You take away the cross. You've removed the power of the message. Would you stand, please? And I appreciate your patience, by the way. And I hope you'll uh, uh, join us again 6 o'clock tonight. Now, let me just say this. If you don't know what we're talking about here, that is the gospel as the power of God in your life. That is, if you've not trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, if you're not trusting in Him as the only way to God, now I just want you to know there's, there's not another real option. There are a lot of other options. There are a lot of other ideas, a lot of other things you can go with. But in the end, they are powerless. They are impotent. And the only thing they will lead you to, not to God, but to eternal death. Separation from God. So I urge you this morning, if you've not trusted Christ, to do so today. And don't put it off another minute because you, frankly, may not have another minute. We're going to pray and we're going to dismiss. But if I can pray with you or if you have questions or anything of that nature, then, then um, please let me know before you leave here. Neither myself or one of us here that knows the Lord will get with you and we'd love to talk to you about it. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80. Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.